Good to see you tonight. We are in 2 Kings chapter 18. We covered verses 1 through 8 the last time we were together, which is about two weeks ago. And now we'll pick up with the rest of the story. The first part, we saw that Hezekiah had done all kinds of reforms. And the book of Kings, it looked like Hezekiah had just gone out and done things himself. And we go over to Chronicles, we saw that he first reinstilled in the hearts of the people the true worship of God. And then those people went out and they tore down the idols, they tore down the high places, and they put in these reforms themselves. We saw over in, in Chronicles that it said after the faithfulness of those days that Sennacherib came in. And it just doesn't seem logical to us that Israel, after they begin to turn their, make their way back to God, that now the enemy is able to get in. And how is that possible? How is that uh, the way that it that goes on? And that's why I love this story, because it uh, shows us all kinds of things that we might not otherwise see. I told you this is uh, one of my favorite, probably my favorite story in the book of Kings, first and second. We've seen some wonderful questions answered in second Kings and even first Kings, but particularly second Kings. I just love the questions that this this book takes on things like why does evil win out over good? That was a fun one. I, my, one of my favorite ones was, why does God keep picking losers? <laughs> yeah, I like that one back. Uh, that was back uh, a while ago. But anyway, here we're in Second Kings 18, verse 8, or verse 9. Now it came to pass in the fourth year of King Hezekiah, all those reforms were done in three years, which was the seventh year of Hosea, the, king of, the son of Elah, king of Israel, that Shalamanser, king of Assyria, came up against Samaria and besieged it. And at, that, at the end of three years, they took it. In the sixth year of Hezekiah, that is, the ninth year of Hosea, king of Israel, Samaria was taken. Then the king of Assyria carried away, carried away captive to Assyria and put them in Halah and by the harbor, the river of Gozan, and in the cities of the Medes, because they did not obey the voice of the Lord their God, but transgressed his covenant. And all that Moses, the servant of the Lord, had commanded, and they would neither hear nor do them. So those are kind of a summary of the reasons. We know there's a, other details in there as well. <clears throat> Verse 13, And in the fourteenth year of King Hezekiah, Sennacherib, king of Assyria, we changed kings, came up against all the fortified cities of Judah and took them. Then Hezekiah, king of Judah, sent to the king of Assyria at Lachish, saying, I have done wrong. Turn away from me. Whatever you impose on me, I will pay. And the king of Assyria assessed Hezekiah, king of Judah, 300 talents of silver, 30 talents of gold. A talent of gold is uh, valued anywhere from $30,000 to $100,000. That's just the gold. So Hezekiah gave him all the silver that was found in the house of the Lord and in the treasuries of the king's house. And at that time, Hezekiah stripped the gold from the doors of the temple of the Lord and from the pillars which Hezekiah, king of Judah, had overlaid. And gave it to the king of Assyria. Now Hezekiah had rebelled against the, the uh, Assyrian king and the tribute that they were paying. Ahaz, his father, had actually uh, submitted to them and he was paying them a, a tribute fee. But somewhere along the line, Hezekiah said, I'm not going to do this anymore. And he stopped paying it. And then they came on down to uh, enact a you know, punishment, I guess, basically, and to get that money that they wanted to receive. So they took the money out of the treasuries of the temple. Now, this passage does not quite relate the whole story, nor does Chronicles. But the way the whole story goes about is something like this. That first off, after he rebelled and Assyria came down, he paid Assyria the money and Assyria pulled out. So Assyria pulls out and they leave. Then Hezekiah repented of, the, of submitting to Assyria. He first rebelled against them. And then he, uh, he said, no, I shouldn't have done that. I need to be in rebellion against you. And so then he formed a treaty with Egypt. And then he rebelled again. Now, if you're wondering when that, why all that went down, and you remember, how, how, long, how long does Hezekiah reign? 29 years. This particular event happens in what year? The 14th year. Now, in the 14th year, if you're in the 14th year, and if you reign 29 years, how many years do you have left? 
15. Does that ring a bell with anyone? God gave him 15 years. But the way the prophet comes into the room, he says, put your house in order. You're going to die. And he leaves. And then it says that Hezekiah turned his face to the wall and he repented. And then before the prophet got out of the house, he was sent back. Tell him I'll give him 15 more years. So that event occurred while this is going on, didn't it? So what does he repent of? Now, Chronicles tells us some things that there was some pride involved in, with him. And somewhere that, was, that of course, was, was the case. But it would seem to be, if you go back into the, the history of, of the kings, whenever a king paid off an enemy instead of combating them, especially if they were an enemy of God, how did God respond? He wasn't too happy with the whole thing, was he? And then some kings actually were, were displaced because of that, that action. It would seem that Hezekiah, something about his submitting and giving all this money to the king of Assyria, did not settle well with God. And he told him to get his house in order. He's going to die. And he turned and repented. And so it would seem that the second rebellion was something that he was supposed to do. And we do see that God, in this story, we're going to see God does come through and they do win the battle. But not before a number of things are lost. Now we look at this and we say, how does God, if God wanted him to stay in rebellion to Assyria, why do they lose any battles? Wouldn't that be a question that you would ask? I'll, I'll put it to you in another, another, another way to phrase this. If God wants me healed, why is it that I battle any sickness and disease at all? Does that help apply it a little bit better? If God wants me healed, why are there some conditions that I continue to go through? Does this help you put this into a little bit more application? I'll tell you, this is a fun story. All right, verse 17. Then the king of Assyria uh, sent the Tartan, the Rapsaris, and the Rapshakan from Lachish with a great army against Jerusalem to King Hezekiah. Now, Lachish is the second most prominent city in the territory of Judah. Second only to Jerusalem. Is that prominent of a, of a city? If you go up on the internet and if you Google this, uh, the, the city, you'll find all kinds of nice pictures. You'll see a picture of the whole mound where the city was built. You'll see a, a picture of the siege that was set up against it. This particular siege right here that they're undergoing. So if you want to remember to Google that, I was, gonna, I was thinking about copying them all down, putting them into the computer and but uh, just ran out of time to do all that. So you can go up on Google and do it yourself. <laughs> it comes up pretty early. Just, just uh, look for uh, Lake Kish and find some images there and you'll have some fun. When they, when they went up and came to Jerusalem, when they had come up, they went and stood by the aqueduct by the upper pool, which was on the highway of the Fuller Field. When they had called to the king, Elikim, the son of Hilkiah, who was over the household, Shebna, the scribe, and Joah, the son of Asaph, the recorder came out to them. Then the Rabshakeh said to them, Say now to Hezekiah, Thus says the great king, the king of Assyria, What confidence is this in which you trust? You speak of having plans and power for war, but they are mere words. And in whom do you trust that you rebel against me? Those are some strong words, aren't they? Now look, you are trusting in the staff of this broken reed Egypt, on which if a man leans, it will go into his hand and pierce it. So is Pharaoh, king of Egypt, to all who trust in him. So he knows that there's a league between Pharaoh and Israel. And actually what happens with Assyria is they come on down to battle, but they first take battle with Egypt, and then they begin to send this, this uh, stream up into, uh, into the tribe of Judah, hitting Lachish and some of the other cities first before they came to, to Jerusalem. And a number of those cities fell. But if you say to me, we trust in the Lord our God, is it not he whose high places and whose altars Hezekiah has taken away and said to Judah and Jerusalem, you shall worship before this altar in Jerusalem? So it seems that they have some spies throughout the land. Somehow they have gotten word about the reforms that Hezekiah has done. And they're using this against the people. They're trying to sow these into the minds of the people. Now, they're, not, they're speaking to these folks in a language that all the people understand. 
They're not speaking to them in their native dialect for, uh, for Assyria. They've actually gone to the Hebrew. They've learned Hebrew. And they're actually speaking it so that all the people can understand the words that they're saying. Because the goal of the enemy is to get you to doubt. In this case, to doubt the king. But if you say to me, we trust in the Lord our God, is it not he whose high places and whose altars Hezekiah has taken away? Now, did he take away the high places for, for God? No, he was taking away the places where they worshipped idols. But these guys are so ignorant, they don't know the difference between worshipping an idol and worshipping Jehovah. But yet they want to instruct you. Now, therefore, I urge you, give a pledge to my master, the king of Assyria, and I will give you 2,000 horses, if you are able, on your part, to put riders on them. How then would you repel one captain of the least of my master's servants and put your trust in Egypt for chariots and horsemen? Have I now come up without the Lord against this place to destroy it? The Lord said to me, go up against this land and destroy it. Now, you've got to be careful. There's a whole lot of people who want to quote that they're on God's side. And Christians today still fall for this. They still, this guy is as ignorant of the things of God as there is. And you can see it in the things that he says. But he'll find some that are gullible. And some that'll, that'll go after this. Hasn't he taken away the high places? Hasn't he done these particular things? And so even today, people will come in. Well, has the Lord really said? Shouldn't you invite all people to come and worship? Aren't all people going to heaven? Isn't God the God of love? Isn't God the God of tolerance? And all these kind of things. And they're ignorant, but they'll still talk about how they're on a mission from God. How God has sent them. doesn't matter that they also serve other gods. It's, um, these people are easy to pick out, but for some reason there's a lot of Christians who fall prey to them. They shouldn't. But they're out there. If they were out there then, the Lord told us that in the last days, these kind of people would increase. We've got to be sharp. We've got to be ready. Have I now come up without the Lord against the, this place to destroy it? The Lord said to me, boy, the things that people will say about the Lord. The Lord said to me, go up against this land and destroy it. Does that sound like the Lord? Whenever God says, go up against this land and destroy it, he's usually also said, because of these sins, because of the idolatry, because of... Yeah. But it's not here. Then Elikim, the son of Hilkiah, Shebna, and Joab, said to the Rabshakeh, please speak to your servants in Aramaic, for we understand it. Do not speak to us in Hebrew, in the hearing of the people who were on the wall. But the Rabshakeh said to them, has my master sent to your master... And to speak these words, and not to the men who sit on the wall, who will eat and drink their own waste with you. Then the Rabshakeh stood and called out with a loud voice in Hebrew and spoke, saying, Hear the word of the great king of the, the king of Assyria. Thus says the king, Do not let Hezekiah deceive you, for he shall not be able to deliver, deliver you from his hand. Nor let Hezekiah make you trust in the Lord, saying, The Lord will surely deliver us. This city shall not be given into the hand of the king of Assyria. I'm sure along these times, he has said something like this. Now remember, the main prophet during Hezekiah's time is Isaiah. And you're going to see him come in the story. So Isaiah may have already given him a word about deliverance from God. It may have been Isaiah that rebuked uh, some of their actions beforehand. Some of the things that they did. Do not listen to Hezekiah. For thus says the king of Assyria, make peace with me. By a present and come out to me. And every one of you eat from his, his own vine. And every one from his own fig tree. And every one you drink the waters of his own cistern. Until I come and take you away to a land like your own. A land of grain, new wine, a land of bread, vineyards. A land of olive groves and honey. That you may live and not die. But do not listen to Hezekiah. Lest he persuade you saying the Lord will deliver us. Now this is just like the enemy. He's going to be, come on into the land and he says, don't listen to your king. Don't listen to the one that, you, that you're under. Don't listen to the leader that God had put there for him. Don't listen. Listen to me, someone who's outside of your land, someone who serves other gods. That's what they want you to do. Verse 33. Now, I'll tell you what, one of the things you can surely do when you face an enemy is give them enough rope to hang themselves. 
Verse 33. Has any of the gods of the nations at all delivered its land from the hand of the king of Assyria? Where are the gods of Hamath and Arpad? Where are the gods of Shepharim and Hena and Iva? Indeed, have they delivered Samaria from my hand? Who among all the gods of lands have delivered their countries from my hand that the Lord should deliver Jerusalem from my hand? Now, first off, he speaks saying that the Lord sent him and then he speaks disrespectfully of the Lord that the Lord can't deliver you from my hand. Now, this is the way of a deceiver. And if you try and catch them and if you try and hold them to the fire, they'll get mad at you. They'll just try and shut you down. People who are not of the truth don't like debate. They don't like it. That's why I, I heard people say that, uh, who was the guy who was vice president for a while? Um, Al Gore. The reason Al Gore would never run for president again is because he cannot take his global warming fiasco into a debate because it won't hold up. He knows it, and so he stays out of it because he goes into places where he just lectures. And, of course, you all know that he had his, his uh, prediction of uh, so many years that we had. And I told you before, Rush, Rush Limbaugh put it up on his uh, website. If you went to his website, he had the countdown going on. I think it's this year or it was in the last year. So it's already, I think it's already passed. But, of course, there's, no one ever holds their, their feet to the fire. That their, Your prediction came and went, and nothing ever happened with it. It doesn't matter that Florida is not underwater. Not even close. Has any of the gods of the nations at all delivered its land from the hand of the king of Assyria? He is asserting himself over all gods. And yet he's saying he's going to do the will of a god? Of their god? Verse 35, Who among all the gods of the lands have delivered their countries from my hand and the Lord should deliver Jerusalem from my hand? So he's spoken words against God. Now it's just like the Philistines when they came up against the army of Israel and they sent out their giant. And Goliath comes up and he defies God. And David says, oh man, you're history now. Anybody can go out there and take you because God's against you. I'm just going to go out there and collect the spoil. And that's what he does. Now here is an amazing thing. Verse 36. But the people held their peace and answered him not a word. For the king's commandment was, do not answer him. It didn't say God's commandment. It didn't say the prophet's commandment. It said the king's. So here you have a people who have shown themselves to be rebellious, to have shown themselves to not stay with worshiping God, who have just been reformed from worshiping idols. Hezekiah went in and took away all their idols. Well, actually, they did. They, he renewed them on the, the things of God. They went home and they cut them down. And already they are at a spot. In, that was in the third year, third, fourth year of Hezekiah. We're now in the 14th year, 10 years. 10 years. And when they face adversity, they say not a word. Christians could learn from this. Because when we face adversity, we're all talk. Oh, woe is me. Oh, God, don't you see my faithfulness? Oh, God, why has this happened to me? What have I done? Oh, God, why is your word not working? Oh, God, I thought you would answer my prayer. We say all kinds of words. The people held their peace. Why? Because the king said, don't answer him. He's going to come. He's going to say all kinds of things and I don't want you to answer him a word. Can you imagine an entire city full of people sitting on the wall and listening to all these things going on and not say a word? Then Eliakim, the son of Hilkiah, who was over the household, Shebna, the scribe, and Joah, the son of Asaph, the recorder, came to Hezekiah with their clothes torn and told him the words of the Rabshakeh. Now that's about the first downside I can see. Why are they tearing their clothes? Why are they sad? They have just spoke pompous words against the Most High. They just sealed their own fate. They should be happy. You should have heard what he said. He called out God. <laughs> we, don't, we probably don't have to do a thing. God's probably just going to come on down and zap them. But he challenges the people's beliefs. And whenever you face a battle, especially when it seems like you're losing the battle, your beliefs are going to be challenged. The enemy knows how to come in. He knows how to send people your way. He knows how to get them to bring up conversations or talk about certain things. Do not let Hezekiah deceive you. 
They could, they could very well just nudge each other. I, I was thinking Hezekiah was wrong on this. Well, there is certainly a deceiver here, isn't there? Someone certainly here is being a deceiver. Either Hezekiah is the deceiver or the Rapshaka is the deceiver. What criteria would you use to determine who? And now we look at this story and it's really easy for us to tell. Well, Hezekiah, of course, he's the, he's the right one. But what credence do we give when the doctor comes and he gives us a terrible report? Who's the deceiver? God's word or the doctor? Or the report, you should actually say. The doctor's just telling you what's going on. What are you going to believe? But the people heeded the words of Hezekiah and they didn't respond. Now again, he claims that he had been sent by God. He wasn't. Just because somebody says that God sent them doesn't mean that he did. You, you got, you're, you're a believer. It's on your responsibility to find out, did, did God send them? Are they sent by God? Should I be listening to them? 19, chapter 19, verse 1. So it was when King Hezekiah heard it that he tore his clothes, covered himself with sackcloth, and went into the house of the Lord. Then he sent Eliakim, who was over the household, Shebna the scribe, and the elders of the priests covered with sackcloth, to Isaiah the prophet, the son of Amos. And they said to him, Thus says Hezekiah, This day is a day of trouble and rebuke and blasphemy, for the children have come to birth, but there is no strength to bring them forth. It may be that the Lord your God will hear all the words of the Rabshakeh, whom his master, the king of Assyria, has sent to reproach the living God and will rebuke the words which the Lord your God has heard. Therefore, lift up your prayer for the remnant that is left. These are not necessarily words of victory. So the servants of King Hezekiah came to Isaiah, and Isaiah said to them, Thus you shall say to your master, thus says the Lord, Do not be afraid of the words which you have heard. Doesn't that sound more like the Lord? They are afraid right now of the words that they've heard. He says, do not be afraid of the words that you have heard, with which the servants of the king of Assyria have blasphemed me. That's how they should have been hearing it. They came against me. You just keep seeing it about what it is against you. But they came against me. Surely I will send a spirit upon him, and he shall hear a rumor and return to his own land. And I will cause him to fall by the sword in his own land. Then the Rabshakeh returned and found the king of Assyria warring against Libna. For he heard that he had departed from Lachish. So he actually pulled off of Lachish from the attack that was there and had to go fight somewhere else. And the king heard concerning Terhaka, king of Ethiopia. Look, he has come out to make war with you. So he again sent messengers to Hezekiah, saying, Thus you shall speak to Hezekiah, king of Judah, saying, Do not let your God in whom you trust deceive you. The same God they said sent him? Do not let your God in whom you trust deceive you, saying, Jerusalem shall not be given into the hand of the king of Assyria. Well, they saw that they trusted him. They didn't say anything. They didn't respond. They probably went back and said, Who are these people? We've always gotten a response from people. We've always heard them cry and wail. Plead. These guys said nothing. What was up with that? Look, you have heard what the kings of Assyria have done to all lands by utterly destroying them. And you shall be, and shall you be delivered? Have the gods of the nations delivered those whom my fathers have destroyed? Gozan, Haran, Razef, and the people of Eden who were in Telassar? Where is the king of Hamath, the king of Arpad, and the king of the city of Sepharvim? Henna, Iva, and Hezekiah received the letter from the hand of the messengers and read it. Hezekiah went up to the house of the Lord and spread it before the Lord. Then Hezekiah prayed before the Lord and said, O Lord God of Israel, the one who dwells between the cherubim, you are God, you alone, of all the kings, kingdoms of the earth. You have made heaven and earth. Isn't this better? Isn't this better than come with sackcloth and ashes? Incline your ear, O Lord, and hear, open your eyes, O Lord, and see, and hear the words of Sennacherib, which he has sent to reproach the living God. Now he's talking more in the language that Isaiah was talking in. Truly, Lord God, the kings of Assyria had laid waste the nations of, and their lands. You don't have to deny what has gone on in order to be in faith. Faith is never about denial of what has been or what is. Faith is a declaration of things to come. The substance of things hoped 
for and have cast their gods into the fire for they were not gods but the work of men's hands wood and stone therefore they destroyed them now therefore O Lord our God I pray save us from his hand that all the kingdoms of the earth may know that you are the Lord God you alone see now we're talking the language of God God you've been called out now show yourself here's an opportunity you can show yourself to the world that you are God. Then Isaiah the son of Amos, son of Hezekiah, then Isaiah the son of Amos sent to Hezekiah saying, Thus says the Lord God of Israel, Because you have prayed to me against the Nechorim, king of Assyria, I have heard. This is the word which the Lord has spoken concerning him. The virgin, the daughter of Zion, has despised you, laughed you to scorn. The daughter of Jerusalem has shaken her head behind your back. Whom have you reproached and blasphemed? Against whom have you raised your voice and lifted up your eyes on high against the Holy One of Israel? By your messengers, you have reproached the Lord. You may not have said it directly. You said it through your messengers, but you have reproached the Lord. And said, by the multitude of my chariots, I have come up to the height of the mountains, to the limits of Lebanon. And I will cut down its tall cedars and its choice cypress trees. And I will enter the extremity of its borders. To its fruitful forest. I have dug and drunk strange water. And with the soles of my feet I have dried up all the brooks of defense. Do you not hear long ago how I made it? From ancient times that I formed it. Now I have brought it to pass that you should be for crushing fortified cities into heaps of ruins. Therefore their inhabitants had little power. They were dismayed and confounded. They were as the grass of the field and the green herb and the grass on the housetops. And the grain blighted before it is grown. But I know your dwelling place. You're going out. You're coming in. And your rage against me. Because your rage against me and your tumult have come up to my ears. Therefore, I will put my hook in your nose. And my bridle in your lips. And I will turn you back by the way which you came. This shall be a sign to you. You shall eat this year such as grows of itself. And in the second year, what springs from the same? Also in the third year, sow and reap, plant vineyards and eat the fruits of them. And the remnant who have escaped of the house of Judah shall again take root downward and bear fruit upward. For out of Jerusalem shall go a remnant and those who escape from Mount Zion. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. Therefore, thus says the Lord concerning the king of Assyria, he shall not come into the city nor shoot an arrow there nor come before it with shield, nor build a siege mound against it. By the way he came, by the same way, by the same he shall return. And he shall not come into the city, says the Lord, for I will defend the city to save it for my own sake and for, my, and for David's, my servant David's sake. So these are the words that were spoken against him. Now, this king, Sennacherib, is going to be called back and he's going to go back on home. And he's given this warning. Don't you think, don't you let your God, don't you let Hezekiah deceive you to think I'm not coming back because I am coming back and I'm going to take this place down. And so he went on back. And while he was back, his two sons rose up against him and killed him. And then they fled. Whatever happened to cause the two sons to rise up and kill their dad, I don't know. They didn't even take the throne. They fled. The third son took the throne after that. And Assyria as an empire will not be much longer. It will fall because they came against God. Now, remember, Assyria is one of the seven heads of the beast of Revelation. It is a satanic force that empowers all of those nations. And sure, you see it come out there as they defy God. In verse 35, And it came to pass on a certain night that the angel Lord went out and killed in the camp of the Assyrians 185,000. Now, again, this is the phrase, the angel of the Lord, which is generally used of the Lord Jesus Christ. In the Old Testament, that's, that's his name. So, one angel goes through the camp and kills 185,000 in one night. We ought to figure that up. How many is that per second? And when people rose early in the morning, there were the corpses all dead. So Sennacherib, king of Assyria, departed and went away, returned home, and remained in Nineveh. 
Now it came to pass as he was worshiping in the temple of, of Nisroch, his god, that his sons Adramelech and Shavazir struck him down with a sword and they escaped in the land of Ararat. Then Esaradan, his son, reigned in his place. So he redeploys, he heads on back and he says, don't be deceived. This is what's going to happen. Now there was great rejoicing with the folks in uh, the southern kingdom. If you turn over to Second Chronicles chapter 32, after this was over, and many brought gifts to the Lord at Jerusalem, we're in verse 23, and presents to Hezekiah, king of Judah, so that he was exalted in the sight of all nations thereafter. So nations came and they just started giving presents to Hezekiah because of what had happened here. In those days, Hezekiah was sick and near death, and he prayed to the Lord. In those days, it doesn't say after those days, it says in those days. Somewhere in this whole mix is when this thing happened. And he prayed to the Lord and he spoke to him and gave him a sign. But Hezekiah did not repay according to the favor shown him, for his heart was lifted up. Therefore, wrath was looming over him and over Judah and Jerusalem. Then Hezekiah humbled himself for the pride of his heart, he and the inhabitants of Jerusalem, so that the wrath of the Lord did not come upon them in the days of Hezekiah. Now here, we still have some questions to answer inside this. Why is it that after all the reforms that Hezekiah puts in, is the door open for the enemy to come in? Why does that happen? Well, you see, we've opened the door before. Remember David, after he repented of the sin of Bathsheba? And the Lord said to him, he says, all right, well, you're forgiven, but you've opened the door for the enemies of Israel. And things happened after that. They weren't able to be stopped because he opened the door. Israel had opened the door for the enemies of Israel with all their idolatry, with their rebellion against God. Yes, Hezekiah turned them around and they made great, great ways to, to get away from that, but they'd already opened the door. And things had already begun to, to come on in. We've got to understand sometimes that at times we have opened the door for things to have gone on. We look, at our, we look at health reasons. We look at things that are going on in our health. You know, why does this continue to go on? I prayed. I asked God. And what we want in the area of our health is the same thing that we expect to see in this. That once I repent, it should go away. But you see, Hezekiah and all the nation, they all repented. But it didn't go away. It still came. Now, why is that? See, what we want is the great equalizer, the great eraser. That I can go and I can live any way that I want. I can do anything that I want to. And then when it comes time, just repent. Just go up in the front. Get my hands laid on me. Or hands laid on me. And be healed. And go on and, and, and whatever. But you see, God has been dealing with us in some areas. Some of them related to our health. Some of them related to, to other areas. And we're not listening. We don't listen. Well, I'll, I'll listen to that eventually. I, I know God told me I ought to, do, ought to do this. I ought to quit this. I ought to do this thing over here. <clears throat> I'll, I'll do that eventually. I just I haven't gotten around to that just now. What are we doing? We're opening the door. We're opening the door for some things. And we keep opening that door, and then we want to be able to repent and just come on back and say, well, God, take care of that now. And it's not that God won't take care of it, but we've opened the door. And then we get mad at God, and this is what the enemy does. He slides on in there, and we, we won't acknowledge that I've opened the door. We won't, won't acknowledge that we've opened the gates for the enemy to come in. And we expect the enemy just to die and just to go away. And when he doesn't, it's just like the Rabshakeh who comes to the wall and declares all kinds of things. And we answer him instead of not answering him. We speak instead of being silent. What we need to do is go back to God. God, I know that you dealt with me, that I was supposed to do this, and I didn't do it. I didn't do it. And the enemy now is on the other side of the wall, and they're hollering at me, and they're saying all manner of things against me. And what should I do? What should I answer? Don't answer the enemy. Don't answer him. Wait for God. Wait for God. Just keep listening. God, what am I supposed to do? What am I supposed to do? How am I supposed to combat this thing? Because this is how most Christians want to do. We want to go out there. We want to live any which way we want to. For as long as we want to. Eat whatever it is that we want. 
and do whatever it is that we want or not do whatever it is that we want. And then when we begin to feel the effects of it, come back to God and say, God, I need healing. And we expect that in, uh, you know, 60 seconds, I'll go up for prayer, I'll receive the thing, and it'll all go away. But that's not the thing that we see in the Bible. We don't see that long periods of time of disobedience are erased in a brief period of time. We're going to see this again in the reign of Josiah. Because Josiah, by the time we come to Josiah, we've had all kinds of idolatry again. So much so that they don't even know what the book of the law says. When they find it, they read it. Oh dear, we're in trouble. And what does God say when they repent? Like no one had ever repented before. God says, I'm going to do everything in that book. Huh? I thought you'd, re- I thought you'd uh, be okay with this. No. He wasn't. Now that's how he wasn't in, in these particular things. But what happens if I've ignored something in the area that, my, that God has dealt with me in the area of my health? I've ignored it. I've ignored it. I've ignored it. And now it's gotten worse and it's gotten worse and it's gotten worse and I haven't done what I think I'm supposed to do. Well, you need to first off repent before God. Stop speaking to the enemy on the other side of the wall and listen to what your God says. What does your God say to do? And your God may say, all right, well, you've got to take this course of action. Quit doing this. Stop doing this. Start doing this. And I guarantee you, none of it will be easy. You've got to fix some things. But you've got to listen. And when he says jump, all you say is how high. You see, right now, most Christians argue with God. We argue with God. Well, God, I don't see how that's going to have any effect on me. Well, I don't necessarily want to give up McDonald's. Not that you have to give up. I'm just throwing out something. Just because you go to McDonald's doesn't mean you're missing God. (laughs) Just throwing something out. Brother Hagin used to tell us this all the time. I don't believe he was a coffee drinker, but he didn't like tea. And he said, sometimes in his spirit, it would come up, don't drink tea. You know what his response was? He didn't drink tea. A lot of Christians would say, why? Tell me why I shouldn't drink tea, and then I'll, I'll, I'll stop drinking tea. Show me what the reason is. You see, because we think in order for me to believe that that's God, I have to understand what he's saying. There's nothing more further from the truth. Belief does not require understanding. I'll give you a, uh, an example. When you were little, maybe you or maybe somebody you know, uh, believed in Santa Claus. Believed that Santa Claus was going to come on December 25th and bring the presents and all that sort of stuff. Did anyone understand Santa Claus? Did anyone understand how this one guy on a sleigh is going to make it all the way around the world, come down in your house in a chimney whether you have one or not? Does anyone understand that? And if you try to explain to a child the reasons that that doesn't work, they just block you out. I don't know, I understand all that. I just know Santa Claus is coming. All right? Belief does not require understanding. It doesn't require it. It just requires belief. I heard it. I believe it. And if God comes to you and he says, quit doing this, then you need to quit doing it. Regardless of whether you understand the reason for it or not. Regardless if you see that it has anything to do with your health or your sleeping or anything else. Regardless of it. You just do it. But see, a lot of times our health, health issues that we're having is simply a lack of obeying the Word of God. The Word of God has said, be anxious for... And yet many people are lay awake at night anxious about something that's going on. Worried or concerned about something that's going on. And the Word of God said, be anxious for nothing. If you go to sleep and you are prevented from sleeping because of cares and worry, you're not doing what the Word of God said. If you do that, your body takes a toll from the worry and the anxiety, which is not prepared to handle, and the lack of sleep. Then that culminates in other things. It can mess up your digestion. And foods that you were able to digest okay, now suddenly you can't. And then that can cause other problems. And then your body's not pulling the nutrition out that it needs to pull out of the foods that you have. Or you're not eating the way that you're supposed to be eating. Well, I'm not hungry right now. Well, I'm not. And there's all kinds. And one thing snowballs after another, after another, after another. And we have all kinds of problems in our health, in our sleeping. Why? Because we didn't obey the word of God. 
we gave the, um, the enemy an opportunity and the enemy came in. And we think, well, just because I repented, he ought to just go away. But he, in this story, he doesn't go away. Sennacherib takes all of the cities except for Jerusalem. And I believe, he don't, I don't think he quite accomplished uh, Lake Ish. But he, he took out the other, the other cities. What's interesting to note is that Hezekiah actually prepared for this. He has all kinds of underground tunnels to bring in food and to bring in water in case they came under siege. They actually stopped up the brooks and things so that the king, the Sennacherib, when he, his army came in, they wouldn't find water. They said, why should we let him find water? So they diverted it into places, into these tunnels, and they had access to it, but this, uh, these guys didn't. They actually prepared for him coming on into the land and were, were ready for that. But you've got to listen. Brother Hagin, you gave us some of the best advice I ever heard. Instantly obey the voice of your spirit. Just obey it. What does he say to do? Obey it. You've got to stop listening to the other things that are going on. We gave you these five things. What to do when it seems like you are losing. First off, know where you are. It is not wrong to acknowledge the problems you have in your present day. It's not wrong. It's not wrong to say, this is going on in my body. It is not wrong to say that. As a faith person, you do not have to deny reality. Know where you are. Hezekiah couldn't look outside and say, there is no enemy here. He's not doing that. Declare where God says you will be. Regardless of what you see around you, declare where God has said you will be. God, where am I going to be? What did you say in your word? This is what he said. Declare Out of your mouth ought to come constantly what the promises of God are. God, you promised that my sleep would be sweet. When I go down to bed at night, I can sleep. Until I wake up in the morning, I can sleep right on through the night. I thank you, Father, I do not have to be anxious or worry about anything. I cast all my cares upon you. And you can go ahead and do that. Now, I don't think the enemy is just going to lay down. He doesn't just lay down. He's going to come and you go down at nighttime. He's used to keeping you awake. So he's going to come in and he's going to begin to hit you with thoughts, get you to be concerned and begin to worry. Well, I learned this down when I was down at Rainbow too. I'm not sure if it was Brother Hagen or it was somebody else. Somebody taught me this. I learned it. Did it myself too. And they, they said, if you ever can't get to sleep at night when you're supposed to be going to sleep, what you ought to do is just get up and pray in the Spirit. Because the devil hates it when you pray in the Spirit. Fine, if you're going to keep me awake, I'm just going to lay here and pray in the Spirit. And I heard somebody ask us, I'm not sure they asked this in class, they asked them after, I don't know how it came about, I just know that this question was asked. Well, doesn't that offend God that while you're praying in the Spirit, you just fall asleep? Well, what's better, falling asleep praying in the Spirit or falling asleep worrying and concerned? <laughs> Which one's better? <laughs> Why is God going to care if you fall asleep praying in the Spirit? So get up, lay down, whatever you want, just pray in the Spirit. Pray in the Spirit. Keep praying in the Spirit. He keeps you up an hour, you've got an hour worth of praying in the Spirit in. Have you ever tried to pray in the Spirit and fallen asleep? Ever seen that you face a battle falling asleep when you're trying to pray in the Spirit? Well, if you're staying up at nighttime, pray in the Spirit. Either way, you're going to win. It's a win-win. Either you fall asleep or you pray in the Spirit without falling asleep. I mean, you, you can't lose in that, in that scenario. If the devil's going to keep you awake, he's going to pay for it. So you just do that. But don't sit there and, and fear and worry. Set yourself up to win. And when you go around, don't declare, oh, this is getting worse. Oh, this is getting worse. Oh, this is going down. Oh, I don't like this. No. Declare where you're going to be. Declare where you're going. Declare what's happening. God, you said in your word. And you, you quote, if you don't know what the word said about your situation, that's your first problem. Find out what the word says about your situation, about the thing that you are facing. Get scripture on it and you go after it. And you build confessions off of that. You, build, you, you talk about the promises of God. And you go over them. And you go over them. And you talk about those kind of those things. 
Guard against critics. You're going to have people that get on the other side of the wall. They're going to tell you why you shouldn't believe the people that you're believing. Why you shouldn't trust in God. Why you shouldn't do all these things. What calamity is going to come upon you? You are going to have people who are going to do these things. Guard against the critics. When the rapshaka comes and begins to holler at your wall and tries to get you to respond to him, don't do it. Don't engage it. When your body begins to talk to you and tell you, oh, this is bad. This is bad. This pain you got, oh, this is bad. This is bad. This is, this is probably going to keep you from, from this. This is probably going to keep you from whatever. No, guard against the critics. Your body's going to come in. It's going to try and be a critic. Speak no unbelief. Not a soul. Not, not, not a little bit. Don't speak an ounce of unbelief. Don't speak anything like, well, these headaches are probably just going to continue. Well, this digestive problem is just going to probably keep on going on. Well, this pain, I, it just seems like it's getting worse. I guess it's just going to get worse. Than it, don't speak any, un, none. None at all. Don't speak it. It is better to say nothing. Just think of the people sitting on the wall. What would they say? Nothing. nothing. It is better to say nothing than to speak and answer your enemy. Here's the last one. Expect what God promises. Expect it. I expect that what you said is coming true. I don't care if I don't see it. I don't care if it's not on the horizon. I expect that what you say is coming true. And that's what you've got to do. Now, you've got chronic conditions, some ones that have been affecting you for I've I've told you some of mine. And these are these are things that I follow after with these things. I know what those conditions are. I told you about that one that the that I don't know if that's what the muscle is, but the one they call a hip flexor. From what I understand it's a whole mess of muscles that are hip flexors. But I just know there's one that was just giving me trouble. And I found out that the magic number for me was I had to stay keep my daily mileage, running mileage, somewhere around six, six and a half, six and three quarter. That was about the max that I could go. Now that's disappointing when I was used to fourteen, fifteen, and sixteen on long days and an average of eight on the others. That was just my my, I was doing about 50 miles a week until it all of a sudden came to an end. And I wasn't doing that anymore. And so every time I would go out there, I'd feel it the whole way. I'd feel every bit about that muscle. It was slowing me down. It was keeping me from going as fast as I was going before. It was sore afterwards. And you know, your body is telling you all kinds of things. And if, you, if I spoke it to too many people, they would begin to say, well, just don't run. Right? Just don't run. Well, just quit it. Well, just stop trying to, to, to push it. Now, I run more miles per week. We have, a, we have a, a group run. I have not found more than three of the 50 people who come who run the mileage I run. Out of 50. 50 some are runners that are there. Most of them don't run as much as I run in two days. Most of them don't even run that. There's a, some of the real serious ones that are, that are there. I've jumped in more contests to see who can run the furthest this month, who can run the furthest this year, and so forth. And I am consistently, from all the people in the country, in the top 1%, injured. That's after the injury. Still in the top 1%. We got one I'm in. There's a one quarter of a million people in it. And I've got 2,000 people ahead of me. But I'm not happy there. I've now finally got my mileage up to about 40 miles a week. I want it to be at 50. Why? Because I'm happy at 50. I'm satisfied at 50. I could be satisfied with more, but we can be that. But here's what's going on. Every day I'm out there running, I'm making a note in the running log of what's going on. Almost every single day, the note is the pain is either extreme or moderate. Never did I have a day that it wasn't moderate. A couple of times I strung two or three together that were moderate. I thought, oh, glory to God. (laughs) Most of the time it was extreme. Most of the time I was mindful of the injury the entire way. I was working the thing out, doing the things that I could do for 45 minutes before a run. 
spending time on it, working it. I've, I would talk to people. I found stretches to do. I found exercises to do. And it just wasn't getting there. Still was keeping it in that same neck of the woods, six, six and a half, somewhere in there, top mileage. What did I do? I, I can acknowledge where I'm. I know exactly where I'm at. I know exactly what's going on with the, with the thing. But I kept declaring where I'm going to be. I am going to be free of this thing. And I'm going to run. And I kept saying that. Now, that was uh, back in June that the injury happened. Every single day, I kept declaring. Every single day, I kept my mind on it this way. I didn't let it wear down. I guard against critics. There are a lot of people I never told about. In fact, most of the time, this was going on. I don't think anybody here even knew much was going on about it. I didn't say much to anybody, even amongst my own kindred. What I mean by that is runners. I was real careful in the running group who I even told about, who I even said anything about it with, making sure that you know they were real serious runners because real serious runners will never tell me quit. Give it a rest for a while. Now, some of them I know will, and I stayed away from them. I didn't tell them anything was going on. You've got to guard against the critics. You just don't need that negative stuff coming at you. I made sure to speak no unbelief. I made sure that nothing out of my mouth came that way. And I constantly expected the promises of God. Kept doing this, kept doing this, kept going on, kept going on, kept going on. Now, finally, I think I shared with you a little bit in church when I first started talking about this, we saw a breakthrough. And I saw some things going on with the muscle. And I was finally making notations in my runner's log and never mentioned, never needed to mention what was going on with the hip flexor. Didn't need to mention it at all. It didn't slow me down. I still feel it's there. Still know it is there. But it's not slowing me down. It's not hindering me. Every week we're adding to the, to the long run. We're getting into the sevens, the seven and a halfs, the eight mile runs. Haven't hit the teens yet. Working our way on, on up there. Having that in my sights. Having that in there to go. But keep declaring it. Keep declaring it. Now see, there's no room for wearing out. Don't get this thing, well, I'll, I'll keep going on, but you know, one day out of the week, it just seems like I just get tired of this fight. And I just let down. Don't do it. Every day I would go out this, I would listen to God. God, what is am I supposed to do? And I tell you, I changed what I was stretching, what I was working out. I changed it a lot of different times. I'd be listening to God the whole time I'm rolling or stretching or doing whatever it is. I'm listening to God. God, where should I go? And it just seemed like a whole area, roll it over into this spot. Oh, yeah, I can feel that pain just pushing down. Oh, yeah, I'm glad. I mean, it's, it's excruciating pain, but I'm happy. Because if I'm pushing on something like that and it's hurting like that, this is going to be good. So the whole time I'm down there, glory to God, Father God, thanks for showing me that spot. Oh, yeah, this is good. We're going to keep this going for a while. And uh, now I know I, I look at pain a lot different than most people do. Pain is not your enemy. It really is not your enemy. You've got to learn how to work with, with certain ones because as soon as you press on those certain spots, you are relieving the pain. You, you look at, now, headache pain. How many yeah, have headache? Headache, not good. Not good. There's nothing good about that. Not saying that that's a good pain, that you should envelop that. But if you found a spot that you could push on the back of your neck, they gave you extraordinarily great pain, but would relieve the headache pain, would you do it? Oh, absolutely you would, wouldn't you? Yeah. I mean, a little bit of pain here for what, five, ten minutes? Relieve that whole thing? Would you do it? Yeah, yeah well, that's all I'm talking about. But you say, God would show me those, those spots. And I, I, mean, I didn't even know it was sore there. Holy cow, look at that. That whole thing. It was, I mean, I, I thought it was up around here. I got spots down in here that I pushed. Oh, man, the pain that was there. It was, it was incredible. But we kept working them, kept working them. And right now, I, I cannot remember the last time I made a note, anything about the hip flexor muscle. I know it's still there. But there's nothing worthwhile making a note about. And we're increasing the mileage and we're, we're doing what we want. You are going to face things just like Hezekiah does here with Sennacherib. Where it seems like you did all the right things. But you're not understanding that before you sowed the seeds for the enemy to get in. What you are combating is not that incident. It's what let the enemy in. And that's generally a lack of not listening to the voice of God, not listening to the Spirit of God, not watching the things that come out of your mouth. 
So you've got to watch all the things that come out of your mouth. I'm not just talking about things about your condition. How many of you have ever spoke harshly to someone they didn't deserve it? Whether they, well, even if they did deserve it. Why in the world are you speaking harshly to those people? Do you know what you are doing to yourself? Do you know the things that you're bringing on yourself when you speak harshly to someone else? And we, we don't understand that as, as Christians. I am real, real careful. Real, real careful. When I open up, I'd much rather be quiet. Much rather not answer a word than to open my mouth and to say something harsh. Because you see, if I get out of love, what does the Word of God tell me about that? Now, we all read 1 Corinthians 13. We've covered it here in the church. You all know the things we've, we showed you about it. You all see them yourself. We all know the benefit of going and reading the 1 Corinthians 13. Love suffers long and is kind. And yet people will say that as Christians and then they'll go off in the next day and then somebody will do something to them and they're not kind. They're harsh. And if we get out of the love of God, what have we done with the enemy? We have opened the door. So come on in. Come on in. We've got we to gotta stop opening the door. We've got to start closing some doors around. Stop being harsh. Stop being nasty. We've got people that, were, that you'll say, say things out of your mouth and you're distrustful of people. Well, I don't think what they did was very good. Do you know what they did? Do you know why? No, but I have an idea. 1 Corinthians, the 13th chapter. Love believes all things. Huh. Doesn't seem like that's what you're doing. Now, you can go through that chapter and you could find a whole mess of doors that maybe this week you already opened up. The first thing you've got to do, folks, is close the doors that allow the enemy to get in. That's the first thing you've got to do. That's what Hezekiah did. The first thing he did was he closed the doors into the kingdom. But now the enemy's already inside. Now we've got to deal with the enemy that's inside. And he did it pretty well. Don't answer him a word. Trust in the Lord. And they trusted in the Lord. And they lost the city. And they trusted in the Lord and they lost another city. And they trusted in the Lord and they lost another city. And they trusted in the Lord and they lost another city. Pretty soon they're down to Lake Hish in Jerusalem. And what did they do? Well, I guess this stuff isn't working. <laughs> Get rid of this thing. They trusted in the Lord. No matter if your situation gets worse, it makes no difference at all. Trust in the Lord. And you will have the victory. I sometimes wake up and just think about this, this whole story. Especially when it looks like you're facing the battle and you're just not winning. You're just not winning. You're just not overcoming. What has God dealt with you to do? Have you done it? And there were times along that process that God said, go, go ahead and do this. And I didn't do it yet. I mean, I'd, it didn't take me more than a couple of days. I got it going. Some of those things I just didn't want to take the time for. But spend the time. And understand the concept of opening the door. I've opened the door. I've let the enemy in. And just as it was with David, and God spoke to David. You've given the enemy an opportunity. What happened to David's baby? Baby died. And that's not the only thing that came in because of his sin. There were some other things that came in. But God didn't send them. The enemy did because they had the open door. Don't blame God for any of those things that you're facing because God didn't send them. But God will show you how to get rid of them. But generally, if you don't go through the process of listening to him to get rid of those things and they go away, what happens? Now go back in Israel's history. We've covered a lot of crown in, in, in Kings. When Israel has repented and they were, when they were facing an enemy, 
They're about ready to be defeated. And they repented to God. And God came in and God saved the day. What happened next? They went right back to what they were doing. They went right back to what they were doing. You can see this in the children of Israel in the wilderness. We'll go right back to what we were doing before of opening the door to the enemy. I've got to learn how to close the door on the enemy. And that gives God an opportunity. And God can take care of any problem that I've got, any one that I have. He can do it. But listen to him. Don't answer the enemy. Those five things we put in there, you can make every one of those things work. But you've got to stay with it. Be willing to die trusting God. Be willing to. You won't have to. God will come through. Father, I thank you for the way that you come through and the way you help us. No matter what it is that we face, Father, when we face these Sennacheribs that come into our life, make boastful uh, claims against you. But, Father, they've called you out, not us. And we need to understand that. We face some things that are going on in our body. We've opened the door for it. Father, we can repent of that and then listen to you as to what we need to do to fix it. We need to walk in love every single day of our life because we know the one thing that will hold us back in life is to not let the love of God that is in us out and to let the flesh take over. Help us, Father, to be careful of our words, be careful of our attitudes, be careful of the doors we are opening up for the enemy. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.